It's time for Football at Four with Jeff Mosier, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. I love coaching this football team. I love coaching those players in there. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast and brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit up to $250. Jeff Mosher in on the Friday. We'll get his thoughts on this game, the matchup, the tape, the film, what they've seen at InsideTheBirds.com. Don't forget the Inside the Birds pregame show. It's a 425 game. Uh, they got a bunch of these 425 games coming up here. So uh, we'll have to ask Mosh when. Uh, when are you guys going live with the Inside the Birds pregame show? That would be 1 o'clock, my friends. 1, one o'clock. Inside the Birds, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook platforms. There you go. Social media platforms, Inside the Birds. Uh, go to at Inside Birds. You can watch it on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. So uh, Mosh, Kaplan, Trey Thomas, great co-sell, great breakdown uh, for you starting at 1 o'clock. And we have the game live for you here at 425 on 97.3 ESPN. All right, so we got a lot to get into here. I want to get your opinion on this because I can't figure out who – benefits from the news coming out that Peterson has not been calling the plays. Well, well, not um, all the plays, some yeah. of the plays, and that kind of clouds it even more if you ask me. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody really benefits uh, from knowing publicly beforehand. You know, when you go back to 2008, when Andy – is it eight? 2006, I'm sorry, when Andy Reid gave up play calling – to Marty Morningweg, and um, my memory's a little jogged. It's it's you know almost fifteen years now, but I I'm pretty sure that didn't come out immediately. Andy didn't come into the press conference and announce, "Hey, I'm giving up play calls to Marty Morningweg." I think that was something that was either leaked or came about a couple of weeks later, especially as um, the team started to do a little bit differently, and then Andy addressed it afterward. But certainly, uh, very few people kind of advertise. Very few coaches advertise it going into it even I don't think Adam Gaze even said it he was going to do it until after it was done and then boy he had some wacky press conferences recently where he tried to explain whether or not he was or was not calling the plays well you saw it happen in uh, Chicago too where um, Nagy it was almost it's almost if Peterson and Nagy had the same script like oh I got to do what's best and even if that means replacing myself I mean so Doug has been pretty steadfast, though, that I like calling plays. There's no reason to change that. And then, voila, here we go. Oh, I haven't even been calling the plays. So why for the last three weeks, when if apparently he hasn't been calling all the plays, would he have stayed in this role of, I'm having fun, I enjoy doing it, I don't think it's a problem? It just seems like... I don't even know how to describe why this would come out now and that what... Like, if... If Peterson's side let that out, would the, the front office knows who's calling the plays in the middle of the game, right? I mean, they wouldn't be like, "Oh, wait a second here, are you calling the plays?" Or you know, like it just seems that there's no benefit here. That Peterson, for the last couple of weeks, has been steadfast on. I enjoy doing this. I'm calling the plays, and then all of a sudden today, he was even kind of weird about it today. Like, well, I'm still the play caller. You know, like it seems like he still doesn't want to turn that over to say, well, look, you know, Press is doing a good job. We're going to let him call the plays. And if, if Press was going to be the guy, like how did he jump up the list? That's another <laughs> odd part about this whole thing. Oh, that was a great rant there, Mike. <laughs> uh, you, you're right on a lot of the accounts. I, I think that there's two things at play here. One, 
I think because the Eagles did not look very good offensively against Seattle, they were in the game, but they didn't look great offensively. Um, it, Doug would probably be reluctant to talk more about it because Doug is still kind of a, a shielder of his coaches, as many head coaches are. And I think that if he were to have said something and volunteered the information, that would have just been ammunition for people to say, well, see, even Press Taylor stinks or even so-and-so can't get the job done. That's how bad of a, of a coaching staff this is. So Doug still puts it all on himself for that reason. And, and to your point about what he said today, I do think that Doug – still sees himself as the play caller, even when he's handing off certain situational plays to be it Press Taylor or Rich Gangarello or whoever it may be. I think he still feels like even though he's just giving up a few situational play calls to some assistants to see if things change in that area, that he is still the primary play caller and he wants that to be known because he, he prides himself, as you heard him say, on being the primary play caller. So I think it, if he starts talking about other guys calling plays, it gives the appearance that he is no longer the sheriff in town, and I don't think he wants to, to lose that distinction himself. Well, looking ahead, it was reported that you might see more of Press Taylor calling plays on Sunday. What should we expect from that, or does nobody know, similar to the whole Jalen Hurts debacle? Uh, what we should expect, I guess, based on precedent, is about 17 points a game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, did, did, I, I, look, the only thing that was discernibly different, uh, you know, from, I guess, last week compared to other games is that really, for the most part, Carson was able to protect the football. He threw one interception. It came in the fourth quarter, and I really believe that they're they're truthful when they called that a route miscommunication issue that was really falls on the shoulders of Dallas Goddard more than Carson Wentz. Other than that, there wasn't a whole lot of sloppy, you know, he's not getting hit like against Cleveland when he should have thrown the ball and then the ball's up in the air and a linebacker returns it. And it's not like what you saw the first six or seven weeks where there was a, a massive amount of fumbles. And uh, the, the only bad thing that you saw, and, and here's the thing, we don't know who to really – you know, put the blame on is that they had a, you know, I think they throw the touchdown at the end of the half that gets it close, cuts the lead in half, basically, if, if Elliot had made the PAT. Then oh, they're driving. So are we supposed on, to give credit to Scangarello for that touchdown? Because that's in the last two minutes. Right, exactly. That, that I was going to bring that up. That was a situation. But then they came out at the top of the third quarter and drove the ball down the field again. And it looked like, you know, they had a really good opportunity to tie the game there if they throw a touchdown. But on a third down screen, that had to be the most embarrassing play maybe of the year. And that's hard to say, but you see everybody on the 10 guys on the offense block and execute as if there's going to be a left side screen. And for whatever reason, there's nobody there to catch the screen. I, I never really got whose fault that was or whose communication that was on. I feel like Boston Scott, who was still next to the quarterback, was probably meant to go across the line of scrimmage and catch that football, but never did. But that that just kind of took the wind out of their sails right there, and they had to settle for the field goal. But I don't know who's per se calling the shots on that, but it does, It did show you that they were moving. They moved the ball at the end of the first half, and then they moved the ball again at the start of the third quarter. So it looked like there was some rhythm and some flow going on there, and then it just, you know, one play completely botched that. What do you make of what happened with the Hurts stuff? I mean, Mm -hmm. Are you surprised? I'm not really surprised. Like I thought it was going to be this whole thing all week long. You heard about it, and, I, and it went exactly the way that I thought. It did not seem like Doug Peterson had any indication that he was going to or wants to play Hurts anymore. Yeah, I mean, 
I, I think what happened was that the game was close, Mike, and that, it, again, you know, he made it a one. Carson, they are trying to fix Carson here, and they're, they're running out of time to do it. And it's 14 nothing, right? And then, again, Carson puts points on the board. He hadn't been turning the ball over. So now you got a one-possession game. And, again, you drive down the, the field to start the third quarter. You get the field goal, probably should have a touchdown, but now you're chipping away. The only thing Seattle does from that point on is kick field goals itself. So you're always – in it you're literally a play away from from making it a game and then of course at the end they get the prayer touchdown but i don't think they they are going to do it meaning going to Jalen for a really long period of time unless the offense is kind of like what we saw for the first five or six weeks you got like two interceptions a fumble the game's getting out of hand it's not within reach and and you might see that sunday obviously uh against the packers i think that would be one of those situations where you're going to see Jalen hurts come in and and probably ha- give Carson a little bit of a break there and let him kind of decompress. What are you seeing out of Travis Fulgham? Is this just, hey, he's losing snaps to Alshon because Alshon's just getting thrown in there? Or is there is he coming back to reality a bit or teams game planning for him more? I mean, the guy was lighting the league on fire, and I don't expect him to be that all the time, of course, but what happened? I think that they're making a big mistake, and when I say they – it's hard to, to, to point the finger at one specific person because I think all are involved, but whether it's Doug Peterson or whether it's Carson Wentz, they have to make a concentrated effort to get the ball in his hands early on. I mean, I think in the last three games, he's gone significant amount of minutes without a target. And this is a kid who's not reached the level of, a say, a, of course, of a Devontae Adams or a top 10 receiver who can just kind of I feel like disappear in the offense and then all of a sudden come through with a bunch of catches. I mean, I know he did that in his first game with that 42 yarder against San Francisco, but that was really the the beginning for him and they were building on it and building on it. And I told you guys this coming. I remember talking about this coming out of the bye week. I said, my biggest fear was that for a young kid to become kind of a sudden star like this, that the, the coaching staff and the offense, they had to make sure every week that he's prepared to be the man and go through whatever ups and downs and, and extra coverage or tighter coverage he might get. And I felt like the coaching staff really has to – and I talked to somebody uh, who played in the NFL about this, about the idea of um, having your, your coaching staff have certain plays that are called your Travis Fulgham plays. And you have to go to your Travis Fulgham plays early and say, you know what, this is the play. It's designed to go to Travis Fulgham. It's not about where the open receiver is or taking what the defense gives. We're, we're literally creating packages where the ball is quickly in Travis Fulgham's hands. They should have a Travis Fulgham playbook uh, a set of plays and a Jalen Rager set of plays, and it doesn't feel like they're doing that. It feels like they're just doing the let's take what the defense gives things, which is fine. You want to do that most of the game, but you've got to get your young playmakers invested early because they're young. You know, they want to go out and make plays, and their body language is going to suggest frustration and disappointment if it's the third quarter and they're only seeing the ball for the first time. So I feel like this has been a failure of the coaching staff and of Carson uh, to not get them the ball early and get them in the flow. Yeah, I know uh, there's so much to, to be made of the play calling. Sal said it's not so much the play calling as it is the play designer, that that guy needs to be looked at more. Um, but you guys talked about this on a recent episode of Inside the Birds, that Carson Wentz's mechanics and field vision are an issue. And, you know, one of the things that, 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 that I'm kind of uh, coming uh, and seeing a lot of is the indecisiveness 
is forcing him to be inaccurate and the inability to read the defenses is all encompassing to a lot of problems for Wentz that I'm concerned that it's more than play calling when I watch Wentz play. The play calling could be better. It could help mm-hmm. him out more. But what are you guys seeing with the mechanics and the field vision and how that is impacting his struggles? It's amazing that you asked that because there's one play I've, I've focused on from the Seattle game that really encompasses all of it, Mike. And um, we've been... We at Inside the Birds have been working with a, a group called Leverage Studios, and they produce these telestrated, uh, you know, very professionally telestrated videos for our Sunday pregame show, which is another reason people should watch it because we are doing that, uh, that specifically on Carson Wentz and all of the missed opportunities. And we have about six or seven clips that show what you're talking about. One, mechanics not being sound, and two, the field vision not being there. And if you remember the play – against Seattle on Monday night where he threw a, a deep pass down the right side to Dallas Goddard that got tipped by the linebacker, Bobby Wagner, right? You see everything that's gone wrong with Carson Wentz on that one play. And basically, to, to make it short, it, the, the play design itself was very good. It was uh, a, you know a lot of verticals against a cover three look, which is normally how you beat a cover three. You get vertical routes and guys down the seams and you make that one safety have to play one side of the field he can only there's only one safety he's got to either guard the right side or the left side so if you look to the right side you can go back to your left side if you look to the left side move the safety there you go back to your right seam and there's a receiver wide open and on that specific play both Jalen Rager and Travis Fulgham were wide open uh, on the left side of the field but Carson has been very predetermined to go to a certain receiver before the snap all year long. And on that play, he must have decided he was throwing the ball to Dallas Goddard because he didn't even look in the direction of Fulgham and Rager. And then secondarily to that, the throw, it's it's fine to throw to Goddard on that because he had Wagner beat by a step on the deep over. But because Carson, and if you freeze frame it, you'll see he overstrides a lot. That's a a term for when the legs are kind of too spread out when you're making a throw. He overstrides on that, and because of that, he doesn't get his full torque into the throw, and that's why it was underthrown, and Bobby Wagner was there to tip it away instead of being thrown as a lead pass to the outside shoulder to Goddard, which would have been, a you know, had he done that, it would have still been a good decision even if he did ignore the other two guys open, but that's your combination of poor field vision, predetermining where you're going, and not put having the right fundamentals at that moment to make the throw. Okay, and I I know the play you're talking about, and I've seen that as well. And 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 see, like now, I believe you guys talked a little bit about the receivers, and, and a lot of people said, well, the receivers aren't open; um, they're not getting enough separation. That happens a lot. Th- th- don't get me wrong, but I feel like there are a ton of plays that the receivers are open, it's very quick, and they're not for big plays. It's four yards, six yards, seven yards. But those are the plays that you need to make to keep drives going or shorten the down and distance. And those are simple plays that are – and it's like Greg Ward on a little curl or, Mm -hmm. you know, those plays is where his indecisiveness, he makes a late decision – when the guy is open, and then when he doesn't make that throw right away, it gives the defender that chance to close and now make that play nothing. Yeah, I mean, remember the Cleveland play, right, where um, Jalen Rager is wide open because nobody actually covered him, and Carson's looking at him, and he doesn't pull the trigger, and you know Richard Rodgers misses the blitz 
uh, on on the cornerback. Denzel Ward. So Ward hits hits Wentz, who then tries to dump the ball off to Sanders. The ball floats in the air. Taki Taki picks it off. It's a touchdown. That's a perfect example. You're just he hesitated to make a throw to a receiver who could not be more open. And to me, that just shows you there's a lot going on in his head because these are the type of throws. And cover three, by the way, is when you have Ertz and Goddard on the field. I mean, Carson has carved up cover three for ye- for the last two years with Ertz and Goddard. So it's not like he's conf- it's not like he's never seen this before. He's just suddenly lost within his own self, if if that makes any sense. I mean, it, these are not mistakes that he's made in the past. These are just now things that are have contributed to 2020 being a very befuddling year for for everyone on the offense oh no doubt about it there's definitely a lot going on in the mental side of the game for Carson Wentz but I I do want to get your thoughts on and and I know that you said this before and I agree with you in this era of football it's not all about running the ball you got to throw it it is a passing league and you look around that's how you you successfully operate but it does seem like they are really I mean for Miles Sanders to get six carries last game that's unacceptable so how can you get to this level of not using the run game? You know, I don't know, Hunter. I think it's. I think we've seen Doug fall back on this before. That as soon as they get into an early hole, or as soon as a defense has some success against the run, that he decides to pass his way out of it. I mean, it looked to me in watching the tape that that, that Seattle sold out. You know, they do bring Jamal Adams into the box anyway because he's a he's a great box safety, but they really did have a lot of guys at the line of scrimmage, and I think that Doug Peterson said instead of trying to match that and go big up front and, you know, go big on big and try to get some – churn out some yards through the ground, he said we're, we're going to take advantage of, of, of lightness in the secondary and try to throw on it. And then obviously being down uh, early – only fueled that that mentality, and I think that that he he that's an error on Doug Peterson's part, one that we've seen before. And you're facing a Green Bay defense this week that has some talent on it, but for whatever reason, as the Eagles showed last year, they are vulnerable to the run. And if even if they fall behind by seven or ten points in the first half, if they neglect and don't use Miles Sanders, then they'll be making a mistake again. Uh, this is a week you would think, Jeff, based on what they did last year. I mean, people forget. I don't think they forget. I mean, it was one of the best performances offensive they had last year. They went to Green Bay on a Thursday night. Uh, they had lost two games in a row. People were down on this team, and they went up there. And that was the one game that made me say, I don't care that you lost to Miami because I've seen you play. Your ceiling was up here against mm-hmm. that Green Bay team. And I remember having those conversations with you last year, and it was that Green Bay game that made me feel like, you know what, on any given day, that's the level they could get to last year. And they ran the ball 33 times in that game. Jordan Howard had a big game. Miles Sanders had a big game. So does Doug Peterson look at that tape and say, that was the blueprint we used last year. We're going to do it again. I mean, I think he can look at the blueprint and borrow some concepts, like I mentioned about running the ball and trying to expose the the center of their defense a little bit. But this is a different Green Bay team. This is a way a far more prolific offensive Green Bay team than the one uh, from last year. It's just got so much more rhythm, and then even this is a far different, a far less prolific Eagles offense. So the idea that you know Carson and uh, I think Alshon had a big game that game. You know they're going to go out there and do what they did, or that you would bring up Jordan Howard right just for this game, which may happen, but run Jordan Howard fifteen or sixteen times because last year. 
you know, he was able to carve him up. That that to me is a stretch. I mean, you would obviously you would hope that would be the case, but you know, George Howard is here because he he averaged less than two yards per carry with the Dolphins, and I don't know what went on there. But it's not like throwing him into this offense is all of a sudden going to turn him into what he was uh, before he left. If anything, this is probably a worse offense. So I, I think that they have to crawl before they walk, Mike. I think that they have to just basically be able to execute basic concepts. I do think they have to run to set up short third downs for Carson and try to get him, you know, third and two, third and three, third and four, and then work the middle of the field in the passing game. I don't know how much last year can apply to this team, to be honest. When it comes to Green Bay, obviously Devontae Adams is a is a threat that Aaron Rodgers is going to target. How do you think Darius Slay will match up against him, specifically because he just came off of that game against DK where he put a lot of blame on himself, even though he was there for those 50-50 balls, he wasn't able to execute and finish? Yeah, um, it's a good question. And because the, the really the two receivers that seemingly have, giving, have given Darius Slay trouble this year are obviously DK Metcalf and Chase Claypool. Uh, when they played the Steelers. And, and Claypool's another kind of tall, physical, lengthy guy. So it makes me wonder if Slay, who has long arms but is not a one of the more physical uh, – no, that's not true. He try, he, play, he can play physical, but, it, you know, his game is just – you know, he's got that rapid close and quickness to be able to stick with you. And I, I do wonder if the physical guys, though, like DK is and like, like Devontae Adams is, are going to be the guys that give him trouble. Uh, but they clearly also left him alone a lot and dedicated more resources in the in the secondary to coming up and stopping Russell Wilson. It'll be interesting to see if they feel like they have to do the same to Aaron Rodgers, who can get out of the pocket and, and run around a little bit, or if they'll back uh, some of their guys up and, and play a little bit more spread out and, and try to neutralize what Devontae Adams does with multiple defenders, not just one. Jeff uh, Ertz, you, uh, it sounded to me today, anyway, that Peterson anticipated that he would play. Uh, if he does, Richard Rodgers has been pretty good. Goddard, you know, has been one of his favorite targets. Is How do you incorporate Ertz? I mean, does that just mean Rodgers is out? What do you, you know, do you go to what Chip Kelly said? Oh, I just put up three fingers and three tight ends go onto the field. How do they, how do, how do they work this? At this point, Mike, I know that I know that we joke about that, but seeing how much Carson has thrown to Richard Rodgers and Dallas Goddard and how tight end centric this offense has been, uh, maybe throwing those three fingers up ain't such a bad idea. I joke with Adam. Maybe maybe they need to go to that uh, fourteen and fifteen personnel offense and just put nothing but tight ends out there, and that might wake this offense well, up. It's like it's literally like what what they went through last year with Perkins and Goddard and Ertz. I mean, you just had these guys running these short little routes, and he just completed passes, and these drives were painful to watch, but they they were sixteen seventeen play drives. Oh, I think anybody would take the dink and dunk offense right now. You know, it doesn't matter if it's not explosive. Just give, just give it, give them an offense that moves the ball down the field and converts third down. So, um, but yeah, I think with Ertz, you know, when Goddard came back from his injury against Dallas, they used him mostly as a blocker. They didn't really have him running a whole lot of routes as much because they were really dedicated to running the ball. Um, we know that Zach Ertz isn't a great blocker, so it's not like they're going to kind of put him in a blocking tight end role but I I think that he's going to play if he plays but I don't I don't think you'll see him out there for 70 80 90 percent of the snaps I do think he'll have to rotate in and out there with Richard Rodgers as the number two tight end all right Jeff Mosher uh the game Sunday you can hear right here on 97.3 ESPN the inside the birds guy will have the pregame show on their social media platform starting at one o'clock on this Friday your thoughts on that game how does it go well 
you know me, I'm, I'm like kind of that big ebb and flow guy and law of averages guy. And, and that's why I actually picked uh, the Eagles to beat the Seahawks on Monday night. I thought there were so many, you know, first they have their own losing streak this year was at two games. Right. And then they had their losing streak to Russell Wilson where they were, they had never beaten him before. So I thought that this would be that, you know, they were going to surprise everybody. I didn't think they were going to be pretty, but I thought they were going to win. They did not. I'm not applying that concept. I should. I should take that same philosophy like a good gambler would do and say, you know what, that streak's going to come to an end at some point. So it's, it'll, it'll probably be this Sunday against Green Bay, but I'm not. I, don't, I just don't see how they can outscore the Packers right now who are playing really good football. Aaron Rodgers looks like the Aaron Rodgers of just like 10 years ago. And you're going up into Lambeau, and I, if anything, the law of averages says you don't win in Lambeau Field for two straight years. That just does not happen, beating Aaron Rodgers in his house. So I'm going to have to take the Packers, probably a 31-17-like score. Well, it's funny because I feel the same way you do at some point, just not this week. It's that one of these weeks, it's going to be, where has that been all year? It hasn't happened once in 11 weeks. Not once has it been like, hey, where's that been? Um and it's not going to be this week, in my opinion, but uh, I agree with you. Jeff Mosher, don't forget, uh, check out Inside Birds on Twitter. You can follow them there. Get the podcast. It drops uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 6 o'clock in the morning. And then, of course, they have the Inside the Birds pregame show, which you should make sure you watch at 1 o'clock. And, of course, uh, listen to the game right here on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Mosher, have a good weekend, pal. Have a great weekend, fellas. Thanks. All right, he, like August, appeared to be the boardwalk. Honda Hotline. Good to have him, of course, uh, on uh, Football at Four, which is brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit up to $250. Go to PlaySugarHouse.com. Win real money with their sports book and casino games from the comfort of your home. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We should uh, give most a little round of applause. No hiccups this week. <laughs> we had the hiccup. That's was true. a fire alarm going off? It did sound the way. You know what's funny? A fire alarm goes off, but we're so dedicated. We just want to know about the Eagles. Yeah, the house, we, we could have been having to run for our lives. The place is burning to the ground, and here we are hosting the show. What was football at four? Any other segment, That's maybe right. we would go. Outside view, coming up next, Rob Demosky from ESPN.com's NFL Nation covers the Packers. Can the Eagles legitimately go to Green Bay twice in two years and win a football game? We'll find out coming up next. This is the radio home for Philadelphia Eagles football. This Sunday, the Eagles head to Lambeau Field to face the Packers. Rodgers back. He pumps. He fires. It is intercepted under the deflection. Intercepted. Eagles have the ball. This game is as good as over. Coverage begins at 3 p.m. Merrill Reese and Mike Quick call all the action at 425. This is where the Eagles play. 97.3 ESPN. ESPN FM. Uh, we're taking it till six. It's happy hour Friday. The PT joins us at five. Casey Joyner in the five o'clock hour as well. Sports Bass brought to you by Bacharach. It has the only neuro recovery robots in South Jersey. Know your rights to access the most advanced rehab available today. Visit Bacharach.org for more information. For the second straight year, the Eagles are going to Lambeau. Now, last year it wasn't that big of a task. They went out there and scored like 35 points and beat the Packers. Something tells me that uh, it won't be the same blueprint. Not with this Eagles team. But we'll get more insight on them. Rob Domofsky covers the Packers. ESPN.com's NFL Nation. 
and he joins us to give us more insight on the Green Bay Packers, who won 13 games last year, Rob, and a lot of people didn't buy into them. Is it a different <laughs> team this time around? Because the Eagles went up there last year and moved the ball right. up and down the field on them. So uh, should the Eagles fans feel confident this time around? I would say this. The Packers' defense is the same. The offense is much, much better. You know, uh, if you remember that game, the Packers had a chance to win it down at, uh, I think, the final 30 seconds. They got down to, like, the three-yard line, and Rodgers threw an interception, which is something he doesn't do a lot of, but but that sealed the game. Since then, I believe Rodgers has played 23 regular season games. In that span, he has 53 touchdowns and only seven interceptions. They are clicking offensively much better this year, uh, which I guess is to be expected because when the Eagles came in last year, it was the fourth game of Matt LaFleur's tenure as head coach, and he was still implementing his system, and Rodgers was still kind of falling back on some of his old habits. And um, it's, it's a totally different offense right now. You guys will see it on Sunday. It, it, it's just it's evolved to the point where uh, you wouldn't even recognize it compared to what they were doing you know, in week four last year. You know, obviously Carson Wentz has had a ton of problems this year, and people are wondering, is it Wentz? Is it the play calling? Um, Rodgers seemingly has gone through some of that, but seems to, you know, jump over whatever problems are in front of him. Is this a much happier Aaron Rodgers now in the second year here? I would say it's the happiest I've seen him in several years, uh, maybe ever. Um, He he really bought into LaFleur. Uh, which is, you know, it didn't show up last year necessarily on the field, but it showed up in, in the locker room. And, and I think that's what allowed him to go 13-3, and three, even though the offense wasn't very good. Um, I shouldn't say wasn't very good. They weren't very good by Aaron Rodgers' standards. As Rodgers had said, I think, earlier this year, he goes, I chuckle that, you know, a down year for, for me is a career year for other guys. And that's probably probably true. Uh but, yeah, I mean, he's, he's you know, I think people didn't know how he was going to react to, A, the coaching change, to, B, uh, the fact that they drafted Jordan Love in the first round, his eventual replacement. And, you know, he's come in like, you know, like it lit a fire under him. So, um, you know, and then the combination of that and just becoming more comfortable in this scheme, uh, I think the result is what you're seeing, that right now he's probably, you know, number two in the MVP race behind Mahomes. Um, I'm glad you brought up the love stuff because obviously Hertz was drafted here in the second round and the last yeah. couple of weeks people yep. are wondering, well, how do you fit him in? I don't believe that anybody's asking those type of questions on how to fit the kid in out there. No, he's been inactive every uh, – he's not even the backup. He's the, he's the third quarterback, so he's inactive, which is not a surprise because, I mean, like, look, when you don't have to play a quarterback right now, and I know, like, you know, Justin Herbert – and and, uh, you know, Burrow were, were obviously playing before he got hurt. But if you don't have to play a rookie right now, why would you, considering just, you know, no preseason, a, a very short uh, training camp? And, and, and Jordan Love just, you know, there's no reason to throw him in there right now. Now, the Eagles situation totally different. And, you know, I, we asked Doug Peterson on the conference call just, you know, to sort of compare the, uh, you know, the, the, the situations with the two backups. And, you know, and, and he obviously was to the point where, he said, too, look, we're not going to rush him into the lineup. And, you know, again, a little different situation. But Jordan Love, you know, he, he's not playing this year. He probably won't play next year. And then we'll see what happens after that. All right. Uh, Rob Domoski covers the Green Bay Packers. The Eagles will throw out their, what, 11th 
different offensive line this year. Yeah, um, is Green Bay, is that a spot where they can kind of take advantage of? Or if you're having problems across the offensive line, is Green Bay a good team to, to have to face? Yeah, it's a good team to have to face against the run because, quite frankly, they're not very good at stopping it, especially right up the middle. Go back and look at the Bears game uh, Sunday night, and uh, David Montgomery ripped off like a I, off seven, 60, 70 yarder just right up the gut against the Packers. And and then the week before, the Colts started out the second half with eight straight running plays, and Packers couldn't stop any of them. But from a if you're talking about blocking the, on the edges, if you're talking about your tackles, and I, and I know they moved they've moved Peters into guard, you know, earlier, and, and that's a little strange to see him, uh, you know, inside. But if you're talking about pass rushing uh, and pass blocking, that's where the Packers would have the big advantage. The Darius Smith has is, is not been as disruptive as last year, but still has been a huge factor. And their first-round pick from uh, 2019, Rashawn Gary, another edge rusher, is finally starting to show why he was the 12th pick in the draft. So they are strong in the pass rush and weak against the run. How do you view that Darius Slay Devontae Adams matchup? Yeah, it's it's been you know obviously a matchup that we've seen a lot in the NFC North over the years, and you know teams have have really you know tried all different ways to cover Adams, and and, and really nobody's had a lot of success doing it. Um, some teams have have taken the thing well, we're going to give him the underneath stuff, um, you know, and he'll have but he'll have games where he has six catches for sixty-one yards and a touchdown, which you know, is, is limiting or they'll have, you know, teams will try to press him and, and they'll beat him off the line and he'll end up with those eight for 165 and two touchdown games. So it's sort of a pick your poison a little bit with him. Um, he and Rogers have, I would say, you know, they built their chemistry and connection to the same point that it was between, you know, Rogers and, and say Jordy Nelson, who seemingly had this, you know, telepathic uh, connection and, and, you know, going over, you know, Eagles fans will remember, you know, playing the Packers over the years. Favre had it with Antonio Freeman, you know, over the years. And, and I'd say Adams is as good, if not better, than those connections that, that those guys had with their quarterbacks. Yeah, and, and Rob, I think one thing is when you look at good teams, they typically have found an identity. Uh, what would you say is the identity of this Green Bay team? I, I think it's it's three people. It's Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, and Aaron Jones. I mean, they are – that's that's what makes the Packers go. They get the ball to uh, Aaron Jones, you know, not just out of the backfield as a runner, but they throw it to him. Um, you know, his sort of, you know, breakout was last year against Kansas City when he had like 150 yards receiving. Um, you know, so so I think it's just, it's the LaFleur offense where you get pre-snap motion uh, and you don't know whether the ball is going to the running back or it's going to the perimeter. And, and that's sort of, what their identity is, has evolved into, which is different than what it was, you know, when Rodgers was successful in his previous MVP seasons, where it was, we're going to run three wides every time and run, you know, two guys going deep and one guy over the middle, and we're going to we're going to chuck it. It's it's a different identity, but it's uh, equally effective. One matchup I always like to look for with these games with the Eagles is tight ends because the linebacking core, although there's not Nate Gary out there anymore, it's always somewhere to target. It's the position to target. So can you see Tunyon's role being big on Sunday? Yeah, yeah. Tunyon's a guy who probably not a lot of people uh, know about. In fact, we didn't know how to pronounce his name until about three <laughs> weeks ago, and he had been here three years. Uh, we had all been calling him Tanyan, and finally after he had a three-touchdown game, 
against the, the Falcons uh, in week four, he told everybody that it's actually Tunyon. And we asked him, <laughs> well, why'd you wait so long to tell us? And he goes, well, I hadn't done anything yet. So I didn't figure, you know, I had any reason to correct anybody, but he is, I think he has seven touchdown catches uh, so far. And I mean, remember, remember last year, you know, like when, when the Eagles came in here, I'm sure, you know, they were talking about Jimmy Graham and they paid Jimmy Graham like 8 million bucks a year for hardly any production. They're paying Tunyon minimum wage and they're getting all kinds of production out of him. He's a he's an athletic former quarterback, turned receiver, turned tight end, and and he's a guy that again we talked about connections and chemistry. He seems to have found it with Rodgers. Well, obviously uh, the Eagles are really struggling along, and you look at Green Bay. I, I guess this is kind of one of those games that you find out a lot about the Packers in that can you handle a bad foot? This is a bad football team they're going to play this week, and, and, and do you anticipate that? Green Bay will show that they're for real and that they could take care of a bad football team. Yeah, that's a great question because, like, and and I don't think the Eagles are maybe as bad as Jacksonville, but I'll use Jacksonville as an example. I mean, Jacksonville was a bad team, came in here, and they were they had the ball at the Packers' thirty-five yard line with a chance to take the lead in the final two minutes, and 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 it was this. It, the Packers were terrible that day, and, and they they you know they beat Jacksonville twenty four to twenty, and and really they probably should have lost the game. And a couple of weeks before that, they lose to a, a Minnesota team that had come in here with one win. Now Minnesota's gotten on a little bit more of a run, but it was a one and four or one and five team. And I would say that that the Packers have have laid a few eggs, even though they've won a couple of games against bad teams, but they have not looked good doing it. Whereas conversely. They've looked, they looked really good against Indy, even though they lose a game, but that was against a really good football team. If they play the way that they played for most of the Indy game, you know, they should bury these bad teams, but they've, they've shown a little bit of a knack for, for not playing well against what you would consider bad teams. Well, this is one of them. You'll get to see up close and personal. This is a bad <laughs> football team. Offensively wretched. Defensively, they're okay. Offensively wretched. Rob Domofsky covered yeah, the pack. I can't pa- believe the turnovers. The turnover numbers are just unbelievable That I when I looked at the Eagles. Just off the charts. Yeah, well, that's 12 offensive line changes. Uh, that'll do it. And the quarterback, yeah. uh, I, I, you'll see a guy who's completely lost confidence, I think, uh, when you see this guy up close. It's a shame. I feel it's almost like when you see, you know, like uh you know, like Chuck Knobloch, uh, an all star player and then he just loses. Yeah. Yep. It's it's can't throw it from second base to first base. I, I it's it's you're right. That's a great comparison. Bonker. Rob Domoski covers the Green Bay Packers, ESPN.com's NFL Nation. They host the Philadelphia Eagles. You can listen to that game right here on ninety seven three ESPN. The pregame coverage starts at three. Rob, thanks so much, pal. Yeah, best to everybody out there in the Philly, New Jersey area. We will, uh, well, best to us, we'll, uh, our, around 425 is when things will start to go downhill. We, uh, we, we fully anticipate that, as you can see, as what he mentioned. This is a team, I like what he talked about, though. They didn't have an identity last year, even a 13-win team. And now this year, who's their identity? And he talked about, it's the quarterback, it's the receiver, it's the running back. It's almost like, you know, I, the first thing I thought of is those, Dallas Cowboys teams, the triplets, you know, when you had Emmett, Troy, and, and Michael Irvin, those three guys together, they can beat you in a variety of ways. They're not this one-dimensional team that they've been in the Aaron Rodgers era. Absolutely. And you touched on the defense. The defense this year. There's. No, I'm talking about the Eagles. Yeah, oh yeah. Ninth overall, eighth in passing defense, fifth and third down defense, third and fourth down defense. Got to fire the, the defensive that's, coordinator. That's though. the issue, of course. Right? I mean, that's the only thing I can come up with. 
you're in the top 10 in every major statistical category defensively, you must have to fire the defensive coordinator. Do people listen to themselves sometimes? No. Just vomiting nonsense all down their chest. Wear a bib. You'll look better. You might not sound better, but it'll work better for you. Fire the defensive coordinator. They're in the top 10 in every major statistical category. Here's a free bag of money. It's too heavy. All right, coming up, it's a uh, happy hour Friday with the PT. Also, Casey Joyner, one thought on every game this week. It's a Sports Pass Live on 97.3 ESPN, the free mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. Turn it on. Leave it on. The Sports Bash on 97.3. Seven three ESPN. All right, ten to the top of the hour. It's a uh, happy hour Friday. The PT is going to join us on the other side, and of course, Casey Joiner. One thought every game. So we got a lot to dive into on the football. We've been talking a lot of Eagles and Packers. We did a little Sixers. You can go check out the Sixers schedule for the first half of the season. It's posted now at ninety-seven-three-ESPN.com. But I did want to make sure that I roasted the Phillies. Love that. Roasted. Okay. The Phillies. When I saw the other day that those cheap SOBs, I mean, I don't understand how anybody came to the conclusion that a good idea was to bring Vince Velasquez back again. Financially. Well, here's the problem. The move is strictly financial. They are so cheap right now and have no money that the the, the directive has been, you got to bring these guys, these arbitration guys back and bring them back because we're not paying anybody else. So you go bring these guys back and pay them because we can get them on cheap deals. David Hale, Hector Neris, Vince Velasquez, who else? Andrew Knapp. Although, All ironically right. enough, here I am going. One year, one mail, whatever it is, sure. Fine, but all of these moves for Hale, the pitchers, Eflin I don't mind as much. Eflin is fine. That is reasonable. I actually am excited about that one. Eflin for $4 million is a steal. Vince Velasquez, you have to just move on from this guy. It is over. Done. That's it. Who came to the decision of, you know what, let's bring him back for another year? How many times is this guy going to pull the wool over your eyes? He can't pitch. He can't pitch at this level. And that move with David Hale, who stunk last year, and Velasquez tells me all I need to know about the direction of this team. All the reports that they don't have money, they don't want to spend money, they they seem accurate. Oh, no doubt. They, they're claiming they lost $145 million. Yeah, you and everybody else. Right? Well, they might get lucky with this JT situation. The Mets are pursuing McCann pretty heavily. That would push JT back in this direction. Someone else will jump in. Maybe. I'm just so, like, when I saw that news yesterday, I was like, you gotta be Well, kidding. it kills me because as a baseballsman, I'm already entering a season extremely disappointed and knowing that this is gonna suck. It's gonna suck! Did you see uh, Buster Olney's, uh, not Buster Olney, uh, Sam Miller wrote this article at ESPN.com about the, so the, the, apparently they suggested the Phillies tanked and that I saw this. They didn't tank. And they tanked and then got nothing out of it. Yeah, they did a horrendous job at sucking, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And that's a Matt Clint tactic. But it, it also mentioned that their 
zip, whatever projection was that they would win 189 games over the past three years, and they've won exactly 189 games. It's just been where they've won those games. You know, this is a team that is mired in mediocrity, can't get out of its own way. They tanked, got nothing out of it. They have not a young player other than Alec Bohm to be excited about. Yeah, I'm not even excited about Spencer Howard, to be honest with you. I'm just not. I mean, he hasn't shown anything to make you excited about him. I'm not ready to give up on I'm the guy. I'm not writing him off either, but... I feel like he's Jalen Rieger now. You know, like, hey, you got this young guy that you were excited about, then he played a little bit, didn't show you enough, and now you've already kind of soured on him. I'm because not other out. guys around the league in the similar age bracket are performing. Right now, out of the first-round picks, I think Rieger is the fifth of the six receivers. Yeah, I'm not out on Rieger, and I'm not out on Spencer Howard, but the juice that I once had, like, I can't wait for this kid, it's definitely not as intense. Yeah, well, he gave you no reason to feel that way. Yeah. The whole thing with Velasquez, though, did they not have anybody to tell them, look, we can't bring this guy back. We could go get somebody else for that money. We cannot, PR-wise, we cannot bring him back. Well, maybe they don't think he's that bad, which is a problem. Well, what's worse, that you don't have the PR savvy to say we can't bring this guy back or somebody making baseball decisions to say this guy can't come back because he can't get anybody out. I think it's worse to not recognize that the kid's bad. I mean, seriously, somebody there can't say, listen, Andy, he doesn't even want to be here. He said, I hope someone else gets, I hope we land a big fish so I can step away. He doesn't even want to be in the spot. Speaking of which, there's a new name that the Phillies apparently are targeting. You can find that out on our website, 97.3ESPN.com, in terms of baseball operations. It's actually an appealing name to me. 